I believe that since my life began, the most I've had is just a talent to amuse. Hey ho! If love Everybody, welcome back to Physical Kids Weekly. I'm Clara. And I'm Danny. And this week we're discussing episode 202 of the sci-fi TV series, which is called Hotel Spa Potions. Before we get started, I'd like to introduce today's guest, Dominic Tyler, graphic designer and magician's nerd extraordinaire. Welcome, Dom. Hey, everybody. What's going on? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think I'll start with our traditional question. So, uh, Dom, let's ask you first. What did you think of this episode? Okay, towards the beginning, I was like, "Where's this going?" With the <laughs> with the, when he, as soon as he started singing, I was like, "All right, what's is the?" Because we had already heard talks of there being uh, more music this season. Yeah, and like a musical uh, there episode. Lots of, yeah, and I was like, "Is it or is it episode two? Like we're <laughs> we're going we're just jumping straight in?" And um, technically, that's true. He sings a lot of the episode, and <laughs> I like it a lot, and it definitely made some of the more serious parts of the episode a little lighter. It kind of evens out. There's a nice balance. Um, It was a great episode. It was a great uh, follow-up to the premiere. Cool. How about you, Danny? What did you think? I loved this episode. It was fun. Yeah, I thought so too. (laughs) But I I also just want to note that when they first announced the whole, like, there's going to be more music, like, I was very hesitant. Like, that doesn't... (laughs) make me happy in any way shape or form yeah i agree when i when i heard that i was like oh gosh i'm not prepared but thankfully the cast members seem to have great voices i know uh hale was said to have a really spectacular voice so i'm excited to hopefully see something come of that yeah i'd be excited to hear to see hear that too and we saw like olivia we, we talked about this already danny but like olivia in that one episode she's singing the um that breakfast Club oh, yeah. song. Yeah, uh, don't you forget about me. Yeah, and yeah. she has an amazing voice. Even in the scene where she's clearly supposed to be like emotional and singing off key, she just, oh my God. <laughs> oh yeah, she has such a great voice. It's very soft and like subtle. It's good. I like it. Yeah, so given that this wasn't a musical episode, one of the questions that was big on my mind, and I really loved the episode too, was... What the hell's going on with Martin? Why is he singing? <laughs> what is this all about? Like, is this supposed to tell us something about his character? I think it's just because he's a child. Yeah. Well, and there's a lot of that in this episode, too. Like, he's eating sugar constantly. Candy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Lots of candy, lots of ice cream. I mean, in the last episode, they ended up at, like, a janky-ass Chuck E. Cheese. So, like, he's oh, clearly yeah. a child. Yeah, I think he is pretty clearly a child. And they... I kind of, I've been liking the way that they're showing that in the in the last episode. I think I forgot to point this out, but they're they're like drinking out of bendy straws. Yeah, <laughs> they're sitting and there and like yeah. And he's disgustingly putting ketchup on his pizza. Oh, I didn't notice that. <laughs> it's a good catch. You didn't notice that? It was so gross. No, I think I was too busy. I mean, you know, there's. It's not like there isn't something very serious going on, right? Like they're making a pact about like murdering a god. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was, but yeah, there's like a lot of really cool ways that I think they've they've shown that off. He's like a child, but he's like so adult at the same time that it's like really like off putting. Yeah, which I guess makes sense given that he like in, in the books at least, and I think they've kept well in the I don't know in the show history. Martin is a lot older than twelve when he gets stuck, right? I be- well. No, I think 12's about right. I think he's supposed to be 12. He just doesn't look 12. They also recast him. It would be way more off-putting if it actually did look like a 12-year-old as well. Yeah, I think that's fair. But I do think, like, that that is sort of how you would probably be if you left the real world and, like, became not quite all-powerful but pretty close when you were 12. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But didn't it happen, like, over time? What do you mean? His power. Like, I mean, I'm not going to say what happens to him in the book because it's very different. Um, but in the show, it's like it 
he's draining the wellspring, so he didn't get become all powerful re- like all at once. It was gradual. Well, I kind of wonder about the stuff with the wellspring because right, it seems like there's when they talk about like the wellspring smoothies and whatever, it seems like they can at least get juiced up pretty quickly from that. So I wonder if it's different than the way that it works in the books. Well, in the books, yeah. like, you know, it has to do with the gods. Yeah. But we can't really discuss that without spoiling the whole damn thing. I got my I got my beepy noise ready. <laughs> 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 um, okay, so let's see. What were your all's favorite scenes or, or like, character things or themes? <laughs> I And I don't know if I'm scared this is going to be y'all's too, but the Keiko demons... Where that was one of, at once I saw they were walking down into the kind of celery kind of place. And then he gave them, he was like, you guys need to get drunk. I was like, oh yeah, this is it. Yeah. The second he started talking about like, you guys got to drink up. I was like, Keiko demons, Keiko demons. I got excited, but then also realized that I've been pronouncing it wrong this whole time. Me, me too. Keiko demons. <laughs> Yeah. I was saying Kako Demons too. Yeah. Maybe that's really how it is, and Rick Worthy just doesn't know how to pronounce it, and no one corrected him. <laughs> you know, as a yeah. linguist, I always say that it's pronounced the way the people pronounce it, so. Well, I think it's like, I would say Kako Demon because, like, it's for one, Latin, and two, like, it's like very similar to the Spanish, like, Kaka. Like. <laughs> I'm an adult, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to keep calling them Kako Demons, maybe. Me too. I think so, too. Yeah. Even though I'm not a fan of Fen, I really liked Elliot in the episode. Yeah. And to be honest, I actually, I liked Fen a lot more in this episode. I mean, it's, and I think a lot of that has to do with maybe my favorite theme of all, which is Elliot is gay. Gay, 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 gay. Yep. Yay. Gay, gay every day. Gay, gay every day. I feel like. You know, we've talked about this a lot. We talked about it last episode, Danny, but like it has felt, it felt at the end of season one and in the last episode, even like they were trying to walk that back in a way that really made me uncomfortable. I know it made you uncomfortable. The thing that's really bothered me is that like, so in the episode, the whole, like he keeps trying to find like a loophole, um, for his sexual deviance. Um, but he like, they never just, like, straight up have him say that he's gay, and for some reason that really bothers me. I can see that, and I, I get that. It doesn't bother me that he hasn't straight up said it, because um, as a gay man, it's kind of obvious. But that's also kind of stereo. I don't like to stereotype guys like that and be like, oh, this guy's clearly gay. But it does bother me. It did bother me when he had to marry Finn, and... Um, it doesn't necessarily bother me that he's trying to go along with it, because... Arranged marriages happen, you know, in real life, you know, to this day. And I've read and heard that success, there are successful arranged marriages because they both realize, like, they can still just be, it's like having friends just for life. Mm-hmm. Even, they don't have to do romantic things, even though it's expected of, you know, I can, it's really, it's a really tricky subject and it feels like it's being handled okay so far so i'm not holding my breath on <laughs> being disappointed i don't know it's very it's very complicated i but think I'm okay what bugs i think what bugs me is the fact that they say that they've, they've said that they have to have sex and they have to have a kid and i don't like that yeah that i don't i don't <laughs> like and i do they try in this episode well <laughs> When the when they have the all the guys lined up shirtless, yeah, he sends them away, and I wasn't sure. Like the next scene with the two of them is him apologizing for the night before, and I wasn't sure if that meant he was sorry, like he was apologizing for having like brought all the men there and making her uncomfortable, or if he was apologizing. I took it as him being apologizing because he couldn't like get before. it up. That's what yeah. I thought it probably was too, but I just wasn't sure. Yeah, that's how I, it came across to me. They came across that way to me as well. Um, I think it's just like, it would be nice though to have him have a conversation with her, be blunt, like, Hey, like I don't mind being married to you, but I'm never going to feel that way about you. I kind of agree because I, I feel like he, he, even in episode one, he's like, I like, he's like, Oh, I think I like her. And he's like, Oh, I hope I like her. So it's yeah. like he likes her as a person, but he doesn't 
like her in a romantic kind of way. Yeah. I think one of the things I liked about this episode is that they, they showed that more. They showed that he doesn't like her. He's not into her romantically. He's not into her sexually. Like they, I felt like they kind of made a point of that. Yeah. So that at least made me feel like they were respecting. Or at least trying to respect. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. That's an important distinction. Yeah. The other thing, Elliot Wise, that I really loved about this episode is that we finally got to see pieces of the back of Elliot's backstory that were in the books, um, and which I think, like, for me, were really a big deal about Elliot's character. That he's like he's affected in the way that he is. He's like constructed his personality to be the way that it is, in part, in large part, because he comes from this very. Uh, I don't know if I want to say oppressive, but this back, I mean, his background is oppressive, but I think it's mostly because he comes from this background that's kind of white bread. Yeah. As, he, well, would he it comes be up- from trash? <laughs> yeah. Would he, it be oppressive or suppressive? Uh, Does I, that make sense? Yes. I would argue both, but yeah. <laughs> he definitely comes from a background that, let's just say, doesn't understand him and doesn't share his his sort of interest in the broader world. Yes. It's very closed off, very insular. I love that we get his backstory. Like, it's really great. But I also, like, Kat pointed it out, like, in one of our chats about how Fillory isn't worth saving at this moment. Like, you don't get to see beautiful Fillory before you see garbage Fillory, and it kind of sucks. Well, I feel like... Sorry, I was just going to say the only... And I think this is why, again, part of, like, Quentin feels so strongly about having to say Fillory as him and Julia did get to see Fillory before because when they first went, it was in 1942. So they got to see Fillory before the beast sucked all the magic out of it. And so I think that's, and since Julia's off trying to find Reynard, Quentin not only dreamed about this for his entire life, but he actually got to see physically Fillory in all of its glory and now has seen it sucked of dry of magic and he really wants to save that the other thing that i'd mention is is they're tying together a couple plot points from the books and one of the things that they say in this episode is is that they have to save fillory to save magic right like the the fate of fillory is directly tied to the fate of magic and it's pretty clear like they've all seen why magic is important right like that that is fairly straightforward yes yeah I'm just like I'm afraid that they're gonna they're going to use Magician's Land storylines way too early though. I mean, they did that like the first episode of the TV series, right? They jammed like one and a half books <laughs> worth of plot into it in various points. I see it more as a jumping off point, right? They they bring up these things that come from the books and then they diverge from them. So it, it's yeah, but spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think that that's the way they're... Well, I don't know. I guess I don't know, but <laughs> we'll find out. Anyway, before we get off Elliot too far, I wanted to play the clip where he's talking about his, his backstory. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I think I'm getting one of those migraines where everything gets all bendy. <laughs> Please God, let me pass out. No? <laughs> This is very important. I have a secret. It's fairly difficult for me to confess, and it brings me nothing but waves of aching nausea. But I grew up on a farm. (laughs) Your secret? I spent years walking it all out. Smell of wet hay. Feel of an utter fresh goat milk and the worst humans in the known universe my family is coming back and if it all comes back I'm pretty sure I'll know exactly what to do that's wonderful on a planet with no Zoloft now you sound like my king mm-hmm. making out while looking so at the guard if I just needed one little thing from you to, oh. to ease <laughs> Yeah, I really liked that. And I I, I liked it for all the reasons that we talked about 
but also just because it's funny and Hale is such an amazing actor. Oh, Hale is honestly, they're all amazing, but he's such a scene stealer sometimes. And it's, oh, he's so, he's so great. So Dom, since we haven't had you on before, who is your favorite character? And, and yeah, books and then show. Okay. Um, Book, book wise, it is probably of the main, like, of our physical kids plus Penny. Um, I would say in the books, Alice. Oh, yeah? Why is that? I just, she has this kind of sarcasm and she has this wit that she uses a little more, I feel like, that um, isn't quite there in the show. She has her moments in the show, but like when <laughs> when she to- when she's like Quentin you have always been the most unbelievable pussy. Oh yeah. Oh, I wish they had included that in the show. Yeah, I agree. seriously. I feel like there wasn't enough anger from Alice. Yeah. I just she has so many little moments like that. She's the so many is, moments in the book. The thing that sucks is that they don't have that developed relationship like they do in the books. They've been together for like 4 years and he does yeah. that shit. Whereas in the show, it's like they've been together for like five months. It's like, oh, no big deal. We can forgive each other. Yeah, I guess that's true. I hadn't really thought about how much, especially because like, I feel like in the books, time passes in in a really variable way, right? Like they'll spend, level spend chapters on one month, a, a very long time talking about Breakville South, for example, and then come back and like three years pass super fast. Yeah. It, there's a lot of um, jumps yeah. from point to point. So, okay, I'm going to ask your show character, too. Did you say that? I did not. And that is probably a tie between, oh, I, I love Katie. Mm-hmm. And I love Julia. And I love Julia and Katie together. <laughs> So you're one of those. <laughs> oh, I am one of those. Okay. Um, I was one of those. We were one of those before it was cool. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. I will say this since the show has been on Netflix and there's so many people watching it and they're like, oh, like they, there's subtle things. Like, okay. Whatever, whatever about Julia and Katie, which I agree, but, and I'm sure you got, y'all felt, feel this way too. When the show was airing last year towards the end I didn't. I never felt that way when it towards the beginning of the season. But as soon as Katie kind of forgave Julia hmm. about her mom, knowing it wasn't really her fault, and they started kind of started to bond. That's when I was like, "Oh, there's something here." Yeah. At least from Katie's side, I don't know about Julia, but <laughs> I would say they are probably two of my favorites. I mean, I love Quentin. Okay, so we got your favorite characters, Dom. Danny, I don't think I've asked you this question on the show. So favorite book character, favorite show character. My favorite book character is definitely Quentin. Yeah. Um, just because like, I mean, you have to almost choose him. <laughs> he's like the Harry Potter, you know, he is. Uh, I know. I, that's why I didn't pick him. Cause I was like, Oh, <laughs> such a, well, the such only a re- but I do love Quentin. <laughs> the only reason I'm picking Quentin is because Quentin is me. So <laughs> <laughs> I mean, other than like, you know, I'm not a 30 year old man now, but, um, <laughs> I just relate to him on that that depression level and his journey and you know growing to love himself and I'm just like I'm hoping to to get to that point too to be like content with life the way that he finally is eventually um and then show it's probably Julia so what's the big difference for you in the show I think with the show it's just that you just you get her a lot more mm. um She's not really as big of a character. She was only really in The Magician King, which she's definitely up there. She's probably my second favorite character. And, you know, we've talked to Lev about how amazing she is and where she came from and how she wouldn't, you know, let him not write her. Um, Yeah. And I think that that really shows on the show and Stella's performance. She's like, I won't let you guys forget me. Yeah, you know, it took me it took me a while to to get sold on Stella as Julia because she was she just wasn't my picture of it, right? Like I pictured I pictured a, I mean, no, she's not a she's not a goth bad bitch. No, and she's also not really like a a girl next door, right? She's 
she's tougher than that, but she's not, she, she's not like Marina, which is, I, I think, the goth bad bitch. Yeah, Marina basically is like Julia in the first like part of the book. She's like the burned version <laughs> of Julia when she first, when, like she first gets, when magic gets taken away from her basically. And she's like, nah, fuck this. I'm going to do anything I can to get it back. That's like Marina is how I think of Julia in that moment. But yeah, like it took me a while to get sold on Stella as Julia for for exactly that reason, but she does such an amazing job with the character and really with the like development. I feel like she understands who Julia is at her core, which is more important than sort of superficially looking like her or having that, having that um, sort of front. Yeah. That's what I love about actually all of the cast is that they all seem to understand their characters at their core. And I think that's what works. Like, the thing that sucks about, like, say, Olivia and and her performance as Alice is is you know that it's not Olivia. You know it's the writing. Yeah. And I I don't like any way, really, when people get upset at uh, TV show and film adaptations that they don't look like the characters. Like, if their actor's going to be good, they're going to be good kind of regardless. Like, Penny looks nothing like Penny. But what was that? I love as Penny looks nothing like Penny from the books. Oh my no. god! <laughs> but but Arjun does such a great job as Penny. Yeah, I agree with you. We we talk about this probably in every single episode about how much I hate book Penny, but I love Arjun as Penny. Yeah. Like I don't even care. Like I don't even yeah. care that they're not the same character at all. <laughs> Sorry, Arjun. We're gonna disagree with you until <laughs> the end of time. Well, maybe not the end of time, but <laughs> but I did like what he said on the podcast last week or last time that you know he gets that Penny just doesn't give a fuck. He doesn't care about what anybody. He he's gonna do what he's gonna do. He's gonna do yeah. what he thinks is best, and that's all. I think feel like that's all book Penny was. Yeah. And, he always, I, there are parts in the book where he calls Quentin out on his stuff that, but you can also tell it's kind of restrained. And in the show, he's not like that at all. He always is on Quentin's butt about something. <laughs> Feel free to cuss, Dom. We, we cuss a lot. Oh, yeah, we cuss a lot. We <laughs> okay, have an yeah, explicit I know, tag. I, I did, and I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm supposed to do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did you, my, one of my favorite things from last episode was when we played uh, the clip of of Penny from the show and Arjun goes, Ooh, you got the uncensored version. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That was so funny. So official up in here. (laughs) (laughs) I want in on the fun too. I want to share my favorite characters. (laughs) Oh yes. I would. Clara, what, who is your favorite character from the books and from the TV show? Yeah. Okay. So there's a few things I want to talk about. First of all, when I first read the books, it was definitely Julia. Um, but I've, I've become, the thing is, I feel the same way that like, it's really hard not to fall in love with Quentin. And my favorite moments are, I think, are, are ultimately Quentin moments. Like my all time favorite moments from the books is at the end of The Magician's Land. And again, I won't like say too much, but there's a plant and <laughs> yes, I, I cry it's about a plant. plant. <laughs> Look, this plant is this plant makes me more emotional than anything else. I was reading that paragraph to my husband <laughs> at dinner earlier this week. And I was like tearing up while I'm reading to him <laughs> in a public place. And I was like, it's very emotional to me. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. When, uh, when Julia's talking to him, that whole part is. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was reading. I was reading her description of, of said plant. Yeah. I think what it comes down to is I really identify with Julia in the books, but I think Quentin is my favorite character because he's such a, He's such a well-articulated character, and he's so – he just grows so much. He's so flawed, and that's what makes him interesting to me. Yeah, exactly, because that's how real people are. People exactly. People are, like, flawed as – when because the book starts when he's 17 years old. Yeah. And it ends when he's, like, 35 or something. Like, that's a good chunk of adult – that's, like, your entire adulthood. It is. Where you're learning and Well, not growing. your entire adulthood, but... <laughs> oh, yeah, but it's a good, huge chunk of it. Yeah, it's... And it's a very important, like, formative part of your adulthood. Yeah. Like, that's... I feel like that's the part where where you are coming into yourself and really starting to understand. Really, really solidifying who you are. 
I think, so that's one thing. In the shows, I don't like Quentin as much. And Danny, you and I have talked about this, right? It, part of it is that they make him, they take a lot of the stuff that's like his self-loathing in the books and they make it external in the shows. Yeah, he's kind of more, like like with moments with Julia, he's more of a dick and it's not okay. And then yeah. like, like there's moments that he has that makes people hate him. And I'm like, well, but Quentin never would have done that. And... He's also just kind of like more pathetic seeming like yeah he like 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 I've said in like other podcasts like he is one of the smartest fucking people at that school and yet you can't tell that from the show at all. Well and I mean again like everyone is knocking him down externally though I do think I don't know that I agree that he's supposed to be one of the smartest people at the school. He is. He jumps ahead. They talk about it all the time about how his He jumps his ahead but level. I don't think right like one of the other things they talk about a lot is like comparing him to Elliot and Margot, right? Like he's well, sort of into everyone mid- else in the school. Sorry, I yeah. didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, but no. They, go he, ahead. There's, they talk a lot about how, you know, when he first gets there, he was, they, he, they're all very competitive because they're all used to being the smartest people in their schools. And then putting all of them together in break bills is like a whole, they're all crazy intelligent. It almost seems like in the books you have to be. Yeah crazy which is which i don't really love about the books but that you have to be like so like iq top of your class 4.5 gpa (laughs) to do magic which i don't yeah that kind of sucks because it makes you feel very like alienated as like a like i'm never gonna get into an ivy league school it's really elitist yeah and and i like that's the whole thing sorry sorry i would i keep interrupting i'm so sorry i just get really excited um (laughs) But yeah, you just said it's really elitist, and I was like, yeah, which is the point of break bills? It's supposed to be that kind of. Yeah, which is what, why you have that that juxtaposition of Julia and her journey. But yes, I don't like him as much in the shows. I like Julia more. I also, um, I don't know. In the shows, I feel like Elliot is becoming my favorite character, which is weird because, and, and you and I have talked about this, Danny. I don't really like Elliot in the books and it's not because he's not right. Like he's all the things that people love about him. He's, you know, very razzle dazzle, interesting, smart. He's very bombastic, which is one of the better words that I've heard for his description from Kat. Yes. Bombastic is a great word for it. But the thing is like, I feel like in real life when I meet those people, they do like fascinate me and sort of dazzle me. And then I realize like, I don't, I don't have any reason to trust you as a human being. And so I think like reading the books, that was my feeling about Elliot was like, I I see you, you're really dazzling, but I think you must be a secret jerk. And there are moments of that too, right? Like where he, he spends all this time with Quentin before Breakbills goes into session and they like really do this bonding. And then he just like drops him like a hat the second that there are other people around. I'm pretty sure he's a Scorpio. <laughs> so tell me <laughs> what you mean that by out that. There. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like, okay. So Scorpios are like these people who are just very sexual beings generally. And like very like front this like charismatic appearance and will drop you. In a second. Yeah, I see that totally. And that's, I mean, that is exactly what bothers me about Book Elliot. But show The thing Elliot, is, is that Book Elliot is not like that eventually, though. Like, No, he, but that definitely but. is, like, that's the image he, he puts out for a very long time. And I think the thing that I really love about Show Elliot is, is that he's always had loyalty. He's always shown that he cares about the people that he cares about. I like that, but then I also, like, I have a love-hate for the changes that they've made to Elliot and yeah, Margot slash Janet. Because, like, they make that relationship way more than it ever was. Hmm. I agree. And it's because in the books, Janet was always in love with Elliot. Yeah. And she yes. even is, you know, ref mentions it and is like, I think she, I feel like she apologized to him for it or something. Yeah, she him. says something about, she says something during the Fen thing, like, is it? Does, am I a horrible person if I wish it was me or something like that? Yeah, or something like that. But and in the yeah, in the books, it's different. Like yeah. it's very, it's very negative. Like they, I, I have never once looked at those two in the books and said friendship goals. 
Yeah, it, I totally agree. And the show, they and but like in the show, they are friendship. It's not even like they're trying to write them to be <laughs> that way. It's like just their chemistry, just yeah. that Summer and uh, Hale, they just are friendship goals. Yeah, that's really true. Okay, so uh, we should move on because we've we've spent like half an hour talking already, and we've. Um, okay, so some other favorite scenes. One of mine was um, when Julia and Q meet up, and they like warn each other. I like that too, but it makes me sad because it's just like, oh, they're fighting again, and it's like, I don't know. I get really. Sad. I just get sad because I'm already seeing other people's reactions to Quentin and them hating him because everybody wants to fucking hate Quentin. I understand what you mean. What I loved about that scene was that they both, right, like, they have they have goals and needs that, like, are directly in conflict. Like, you cannot do both of the things that they want to do at the same time. And even though they're, like, really kind of at each other's throats about that, they still love each other and care about each other enough to help on the really, really important things. I cried a little when she said, the way she says see ya at the end, it just killed me. Oh, I agree. <laughs> and I just feel like because when they start arguing at that point, at that point when Quentin, you know, turns around and he's like, he says something like, Julia, like, what are he, like, what are we doing? Or something like that. Like we're, I think they kind of both realize after their little fight that they're under some pressure they're under really intense circumstances yeah Yeah. well and that was the thing that i loved about the previous episode was just how much quentin is is vocalizing and like defending julia to everybody else like you would not be yeah i straight up wanted to like kick margo in the face saying like oh but she tried to betray us and i'm like bitch you should be supporting her she just got raped like what the fuck's wrong with you yeah i mean admittedly i don't think she knew that at first i think she only knew that later and then she was just like we have to kill the beast she wasn't yeah but yeah i i still wanted to punch her in the face because it's like just (laughs) stop (laughs) i also don't get how uh I just thought about this, how Margot knew that it was Julia's fault when they walked out of the wellspring because they had already been knocked out. Everyone yeah. but Hugh had already been knocked out. I assume that uh, that Alice had explained it to them. Yeah, how did Alice, Alice was already bleeding out, wasn't she? Yeah, but she's, she's fucking God-powered. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> like, true. She probably you're right, it. you're right. Um, well, and wait, though, I, I don't know. I need to watch that episode again because they were – wait, are you sure that they were all knocked out when she gets – the knife yes yes they okay. were the only person that witnessed it was quentin, was quentin. okay um so another thing i really liked a lot of these were again like quentin moments um alice and quentin <laughs> and i'm gonna play that clip before we talk about it because i think it's Ooh. yeah we, we all need to have some feels <laughs> it hurts then. not everything that hurts is bad I hate that all of this is on you. You tell me if there's something I could do. Is shift the weight off? Can I tell you? (laughs) I think... Even though I agree with you, Danny, that they... They truncate their relationship so much, and it is a little frustrating not to see Alice be angry at Quentin for that. I really loved seeing how how tender he is with her. Yeah, which he was, like, not like that in the book, where (laughs) when they're first in Fillory, and he's like, fuck this bitch, like, fuck this, like, he's so fucking angry. Everyone's angry. (laughs) He's like, why is she sitting so close to me? And, like, he's such a teenager about it. I also realized, like, I, I... I forgot until just this moment that they also had in the show that Penny and Alice fuck. Oh, yeah. Because they kind of just, like, don't care. Like, there's no, like, real Penny and Alice moments. No, and there's no even really, like, Penny and Quentin moments after that. Like, no, well, like, at each other's throats moments. No. Yeah. The season one finale had, like, that one Alice and Penny moment when they were with Hoberman. Mm -hmm. And um, they had that weird, and Alice was, like, why are you reading too into this? Yeah. And Penny was like, I'm not like, I'm just being a friend. Chill out. I really like yeah. that moment. <laughs> I wish we saw more of that. I wish, I hope that we get more of the Penny and Alice friendship 
in this. This season so far has had some good like moments between characters that hadn't really interacted before. Yeah. So I, I hope that Alice and Penny get more of those. Like Margot and Penny last episode yeah. was so much fun because we yes. never together. Yeah, and it makes you realize that they really should be like natural friends. They're yeah. So oh yeah, alike. so much sass. Yeah, so at least much in sass. the show, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean not in the not in the books, but that's because Penny's a completely different character in the books, as established. Yeah. Um <laughs> also like I, I just want to throw that out there that the ship name for for Penny and Quentin is Quenny. Like, come on, it's not Penton. <laughs> <laughs> well, you heard it here first. <laughs> Quenny. Quenny just sounds better. It's like, I don't know. Nah, I, I understand. Or, I understand or there's uh, the, the, the Netflix fandom decided to make Wick off a thing, even though Jade has already said that it's JD before. Oh, did she? Yeah, because she was all like, yeah, I really like that nickname because that's her actual nickname in real life. All right, Jade. Oh, we got cute. your back. It's JD. Everybody listen up. Hashtag JD. <laughs> I mean, Wickoff does sound cool, though. It's true. Wickoff does sound cool. That's why I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) It also, okay, so I think Wickoff works better as, like, a slash fiction uh, nickname, because it sounds kind of like a a different kind of thing. Uh, Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, some other things that I really liked. Okay, I really liked seeing Marina and Julia together in the particular way that they're together in this episode. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And I think a big part of that is like there's I think there's a lot of people who see oh, Marina. Oh, 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 the way I have to I have to say it, it was one of my favorite lines. I wrote it down. Uh when he, Martin calls Marina sheer Hellcat perfection, I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I think the thing that bothered me about this episode most was that I kind of liked Martin. Not like I was telling you this before, like you, you were automatically just shut, like just like very against him because of the way he was in the last episode, but I love villain development and I love how ridiculously whimsical he is. I love the way he talks. Like yeah. he has this like cadence of his voice. Yes. Like the way he says anyways, like it's so it theatrical. Yeah. Yeah. I, but I, I really liked him in this episode. It made me kind of, it made me fairly uncomfortable, moderately uncomfortable. <laughs> and it's so funny because it, it makes sense that, he's acting this way too, not only because like we talked about, he's kind of like a, a kid still, but also because he, he can't hurt Julia because of the pact. He can't hurt any of her quote unquote loved ones. And he can't undermine her either. I don't even think he wants to hurt Julia. No, I don't think he does either. At this point, because I think he realizes that they've both been through something similar and he feels that kind of kindred spirit thing with her. And so I think now even the, even if they hadn't made the pact, he would still just leave her alone. But he can't hurt Marina. He can't hurt, you know, Quentin or anybody yet until the pact's done. Yeah. And so he, he has nothing else to do but just be himself. But just, you know, he's not going to just sit around being evil all day and scowling. <laughs> that would be kind of a fun, like, spinoff. <laughs> just the beast being evil and scowling and watching Rick and Morty <laughs> which was a funny such a funny little clip oh my god what a great little easter watching. egg <laughs> <laughs> um, oh so the thing that I wanted to say and I know you're going to have a lot of feelings about this Danny so I want to hear them there's a lot of people who I think saw Marina helping Julia at the end of season one as the beginning of a redemption arc or like her turning out to be actually good And one of the things I liked about this episode is it shows really how complicated that is, right? Like, it's not like this was a giant shift. She eventually agrees to help in this episode. But first of all, she was, like, super reluctant about it and kind of bitchy. And I'll play a clip to go with that in a second. Um, She's very very selfish, too, right? Like, she's really framing it all in terms of, like, her and hers. And when she does help, it's still only – like, she's still really only looking out for number one. And – Three, she she looks at every other possible option first. So she, like, goes and talks to Fog as soon as she realizes she's in actual trouble before she goes back to Julia. And I love that he was like, you need both talent and character to be a great magician. Yes, which I think is really, it, it's a really interesting 
play on words and like contrast with that conversation between Ellie and Quint- Elliot and Quentin in book one, where Elliot's like listing all the things that you need to be a magician. And the, and one of them is like, you need to have good character or whatever. Oh, moral fiber. That's right. And uh, Quentin says, he's not sure he has the moral fiber thing. And Elliot says he doesn't either. He thinks it's optional. And I thought that was like a really interesting reversal. And it's coming from Fogg, who obviously has like a much different perspective on this. Uh, but they also, you know, those two characters do end up having quite a bit of moral fiber eventually. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but I think like the stuff concerning Marina is that she likes Julia and she likes Julia even in season one after the fact that, you know, she sold Marina out to Dean Fogg. When uh, Marina went to the like rehab where Julia was and like apologized and was like, you know, we ha- and they have that kind of kindred spirit thing as well. Mm. And I think had it not been for the fact that Julia only got Marina's help one by just kind of traveling her to her apartment without even like saying anything beforehand <laughs> with the but Lucha also, Libre mask. Yeah, we're in a Lucha Libre mask. Like, yeah. that's not a one, if you need someone's help, that's not a way to do it. But two, <laughs> that brings her into something that's not her problem. That's a big deal, mm. you know? And yeah, it really bring, it forces the drama on her. Yeah. And so I, I can almost get it. Cause if the thing with Reynard, if he wasn't still out there attacking people, if he was already like somewhere else or dead or whatever. I feel like Julia and Marina could be friends again, hmm. but um, because Julia only kind of calls on Marina in times of need, it's almost, they're both equally being a little bit selfish. Yeah, I think that's fair. They're, they're so using each other. Complicated than just thinking like, oh, Marina's just going to be friends again with Julia. It's, it's much more complicated than that, I feel like. I love the part at the end of the episode where they kind of like just start like, sharing the same smoke and like my first thought was just like there's not enough smokes in the world to deal with the bees <laughs> them sharing that cigarette and i was like wow i ship julia and marina too now <laughs> uh, I, I don't think i don't think i ever could just because of just it's a huge ship on tumblr and uh, it, it just kind of squicks me out because I'm, people are like very like oh i can't ship this because it's abusive but yet they'll ship that and also Let's face it, you're kind of a shipster. Huh? Yeah. No. <laughs> Come on, somebody's got to get behind my bad puns. <laughs> uh, sorry. At least, at least, at least, nobody on Tumblr like ships uh, Julian Quentin. Like, thank the Lord. Okay, I agree. Ugh. Oh, uh, speaking of ships, we have to. I have to bring up two ships. For one, Bigby and Fog. That that was awesome. Oh my god, oh, that was awesome. It's I great to so much. Fog have uh, a romantic interest. Yeah, I just love Bigby. Like, yes, everything about her is great. And I love how like Quentin and Juliet are so repressed, and they just like <laughs> they can't deal with the fact that she's like super open about her sexuality. Oh, you mean Alice? He said Juliet. Oh yeah, okay. I'm sorry, Alice. Um, I <laughs> love when she's just all like. These two fuck like jackrabbits. You can smell it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. It actually made me think about them in the book. Yes. Because they, like she like was, the beginning of their relationship all the time. Yeah. <laughs> but the real the real ship of the episode. What's that? Was definitely Sunderland and Penny. Oh. Oh my goodness. Um. Okay. So let, let's go to fashion because this is a good transition for me. Because one of the things that I love, uh, I've mentioned Professor Sunderland's outfits a lot of times, and in this episode, it really hit me why I think that I would call her fashion sense dominatrix chic. <laughs> she's just I see like, that. well, because she's always wearing these like super she's sharp. She's like, she's like the the stereotypical sex, sexy librarian. <laughs> That's exactly it. She's the sexy librarian who like teaches her students about <laughs> the world. <laughs> but Penny's trying so hard. He is. He's trying so hard. And I also loved as a former teacher that she was like after you graduate. That she's like, "Yeah, you have a chance, but just wait a few more years." Yeah. But I did really if they even graduate. Let's be real. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's true. I hope that that happens show wise. I would love to see them learn more like intricate and like intense magic. Yeah, they're such noobs. I do feel like it would be super weird for them to like come back and take classes now, though. Are they just gonna like go to Fillory and have adventures on summer break? I I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they should just get homeschool taught. I don't know. I would imagine it would be a time jump. They sh- they should just like bring Dean Fogg into Castle Whitespire and be like, "Teach me, bitch." <laughs> oh right. <laughs> yeah. But okay, so Professor Cinnamon, I loved her outfit. I loved that she had this like super crisp shirt and the like messy tie. Also, I just love it anytime a uh, like very attractive female character wears a tie. Yeah. That was one thing. And then we were talking about this a little bit before, but Elliot is on point. <laughs> Our Arjun was telling us to prepare for how beautiful his wardrobe is. So oh my God. we got a little taste so far. We did. So what were your favorite outfits of his? Because there were a few, right? He only wears like two, I think. Well, it depends on what you count as an outfit. Because I personally really liked the robe. Oh, his like bedroom guard? Yeah. <laughs> his boudoir <laughs> chic. <laughs> my favorite outfit was outfit was the part when uh, he was naked with Finn. No, just kidding. No, mine. My favorite one is uh, I said this earlier was uh, towards the end of the episode when they all go back to Fillory and he's wearing that silver mm. king outfit. It's like floral, I guess. It's like silverish blue. Oh, I yeah. love that outfit with his crown. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, and he can pull it up. I also like it. Made me realize too how how kingly his hair has been this entire time. Like he's always had great hair, but it looks really good under a crown and on top of like silk robes. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was always waiting for this day to come. He was. It's really true. It's as natural as underwear or something like that. What was it? Yeah. Underwear. <laughs> um, any other like big fashion things that you saw? I can't even remember, but like I wrote a note about liking Julia's outfit, but I can't actually remember it now. <laughs> but Julia's outfit. <laughs> yeah. You always like what she wears. And I think it is that I like do. she wears things that are like a little off the shoulder that um they're very attractive, but they're not showy, which is probably why it's hard to remember them too. Well, I'm just having I've only seen it once, whereas normally I've seen this episode like three or four times by the time we talk about it. That's um, true. Uh, okay. Were there any other fashion things from either of you? Yes. I, I love, I, like I said, Margo, Margo has that jacket. Mm. It's a jacket. It's kind of like high. It ends kind of in her midsection. Mm -hmm. It's like white with the little, with, it's almost looks like watercolor, I guess. Yeah. It's got all these, and she wears it at the end as well. And I love that jacket. (laughs) (laughs) I think, I mean, Margot's fashion in general is pretty great, but I agree. I I feel like it's getting more sophisticated in this season. Like a lot of it last season felt very college student. And now it's starting to feel much more like fashionista adult. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Any other fashion things? No. Um, Nothing I can ever, I can really think of specifically. Those two were the, were my two big ones that immediately jumped out at me. Cool. Because they're just so great. But, uh, yeah, I feel like that's going to be a running theme this season is Margot and Elliot's wardrobe. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. (laughs) Just, and, I mean, Arjun was absolutely right. You got to give the costume department props. They do an amazing job no matter what. But giving them the opportunity to dress royalty was definitely a plus. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Uh, okay, so outside of fashion, is there anything else that y'all wanted to talk about about this episode? I love that line where uh, the Beast says to Julia, you're an absolute savage, Julia. Like, that's oh, one yeah. of my favorite lines. Yeah, and I think that was one of the things that made me really like him in this episode, that he's talking about, like, he's talking about her being sweet and innocent, and that's what attracted Reynard to her, and then he's like, you're savage. That he really seems to see see through the, like, image that a lot of other people have of her. Yeah. He sees the real her. Yeah, exactly. He understands all of the, like, facets of her personality, I guess, and all of what makes her her. Yeah, and that's Mm -hmm. what's so disturbing about their relationship is that this this very dark, very disturbed character is is really the one who understands her best. Mm Mm-hmm. And that also just kind of goes to show that, you know, anyone can, can be the beast almost, you know, anyone mm-hmm. it, within the universe of the show could 
under the right circumstances, have gone the same path as uh, as Martin. Yeah, I think that's a really important point too, because that's that's a big point in the books. Is how in the books it's really Quentin and the Beast, right? Like the Quentin and Martin Martin have so much in common because they both really want Fillory so badly, and yada yada yada. I didn't even think about that until you just said it, but. This is another way in which I think they've really amplified the importance of Julia and her character in the shows is by giving her more similarities with the Beast. They were always there, but she never really got to to meet the Beast, so. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, you didn't really get to, I mean, they, in the books, what's similar about them is that they both have this thirst for power, and what's similar about Quentin and the Beast is that they both have this thirst for Fillory, but you're seeing much more of Julia's side of it right now. Mm Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't seem like the beast, it doesn't seem like the beast lusted for Fillory in the same way as he did in the books, or in the same way that Quentin did. That was ju- purely an escape for him, for Martin. And that's what's so interesting about the show, and what I think helps makes the sh- helps make the show so great is that you know in the books, Julia, like you said, uh, Danny, she's only in the Magician King, and a lot of her stories and flashbacks. And so you kind of forget that she in the books never met the beast. I'm sure she heard about it, but she never had anything to do with the beast. She has the uh, whole Reynard plot, I guess. And then the, the spoilery aftermath that happens <laughs> with that in the books. Um, but it's, it's interesting that they kind of wrote, it to be more of a Martin Julia thing, especially since they had been sent through to uh, similar situations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Anything else that we missed before we go to the MVP and rating? I'm, I think we just have to mention the fact that Josh was in there because. Oh yeah. Josh, you know, <laughs> Hoberman's that was back. such a cool scene. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, it was awesome to watch uh, Arjun kick him right in the dick. Yeah, because <laughs> he deserved it, man. He they could really have used uh, him and Victoria's help. Yeah, yeah. I understand why Victoria was like, "Nah, I'm outie." Yeah, yeah. But, and I guess I get why Hoberman was left too. I just feel because he was there in the books, so I just yeah. feel kind of like you could have helped, but well, he's think- not there in the show. Yeah, I exactly. thought it was funny that the, the the person that saves everybody is Richard fucking comes back in the books. <laughs> but Richard oh, is yeah. not the same character. So. Well, because Richard yeah. had this very... I, I always thought of Richard kind of like the religious version of er, Ernie McMillan from, uh, from Harry Potter, who's like super stuffy and kind of a butt. <laughs> but <laughs> like he has a very strong code of ethics, which like personal code of ethics, which he feels like he has to follow. Because that, to me, was why Richard came back. It was because he, like, pompously felt it was, all caps, the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. And not because he had any, he felt any personal loyalty or anything like that. No, definitely not, obviously, since he kind of just saves them and then they, I don't think you ever hear about him again. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I really liked, okay, we have to, I forgot to play the Michael Bublé clip uh that marina has we're gonna just have to skip that but i do have to play the clip that this episode is named after because i think one of my favorite things about this episode was the fact that everyone's working together toward a common goal so i'm gonna play that now nada (sighs) professor i can safely say that none of the number codes we came up with led to anything we found about 300 anagram phrases anything promising uh well uh hospital nose top mean anything what about uh latte shop poison no that's surprising that's surprising uh, oh, this one's good this is my favorite because yeah i really like the it's absurd sarcasm uh hotel spa potions wait <laughs> that's a book in here i think one of the things i really like about that too is that right like quentin is being so deeply sarcastic and then the thing that he's like this is the most ridiculous turns out to be the right thing <laughs> it i remember job. taking a, taking a gander at that list and i know that elliot's name is in one of them <laughs> <laughs> i can't remember that? what it actually said but i need to look at that i didn't either how much of that do you think is is like coming from quentin's mind like the anagrams are 
a description of his psyche? I don't know. <laughs> okay. Are they? Because because Alice was doing casting that spell, right? Oh, yeah, that's how she was finding it out. So it's Alice. So really, psyche. it's in Alice's. She's thinking about Elliot. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess they did just have this like emotionally touching forgiveness scene in the previous episode. So, oh yeah, that was so good. Mm-hmm. That was great. Um, I also think, speaking of Alice, really quick, yeah. it's important to mention um, plot wise. I really liked the part where she was practicing the uh, the Rhineman. Yeah, also, that was cool. Yes. Also, I just I really liked. One of, I forgot to mention this, but one of the things I really like about this episode is how many people really, really sort of land on and point out the fact that Alice is unique, like really talented above and beyond everybody else. Because that's something that we we've only seen in bits and pieces, and we've mostly seen it from like Quentin seeing her as special. So it's it, for me, it was really great to see like all the external validation that she was getting that people can see her coming into her power. Like, she's by far the most brilliant magician they have. Yeah. Yeah, out of everyone in the main group. it's And, yeah, I agree. It's nice when um, Bigby said that, like, oh, it's going to be you. It's going to be you that cast this. Not only yeah. because she's powered up, but she's, I feel like even if one of the other ones were juiced up, they wouldn't have been able to master the spell in time to, yeah. to cast it. Except maybe Elliot, because he's supposed to be a very oh yeah he's supposed to be like a savant like a natural uh, i think i agree with what you're saying though is that i don't like i think even elliot even as natural as he is probably couldn't do what alice could do well the thing is i don't think i think elliot would just get too stressed out over the fact that he would have to save everybody i think one of the things that makes alex or alice so uniquely suited to it is the fact that she is so deeply in touch with her emotions and she does feel things, right? Like, this is what connects her and Quentin is they both feel things very keenly. She's just quieter about it. But I feel like Elliot, right? Like, Elliot spends a lot of his time trying to hold that back and trying to not be emotional, right? Like, he is he is fronting all the time. And I think that that, I think that, like, emotional honesty and that rawness is is a big part of what makes it work for Alice. The fact that she can feel all that pain. yeah. You know? And I'm sure that makes her stronger as the magic comes from pain uh, line that's been off-quoted. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I, I think that's something else I really like about the shows is just that we get to see, we get to see inside Alice's head a little bit more. Okay. MVP. Who's your MVP for the episode? Danny, let's start with you. Mine's actually probably Martin Chatwood just because he was Me too. Off the fucking wall. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I looked I looked him I looked him up and the actor's name is Charles Monsieur or Measure. Um he has been on he's on Once Upon a Time. Did you know that? I knew that and he was also on this short lived uh ABC family show that just finished uh, what was it? Is, is this the one with Billy Zane's Dead, Dead of Summer? Dead of Summer? Dead of yeah. Summer is on. Oh his yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a good. That was good. He was in that. He was great in it. I for, he's apparently he's like a, I don't want to say apparently because other people are going to be like, how do you not know? But I <laughs> I think I read that he's like a sci-fi TV like staple, or he's often in like fantasy sci-fi kind of TV shows. Yeah, he's and really he good. usually plays darker characters. And I think he like one of the thing the thing that we were all talking about in this episode is that he's so good at like finding the lightness and the quirkiness and the weirdness in a very dark character. Yeah. He does a great job of, uh, all about balance. He could, of being, you know, the evil dark character that the beast is and being, you know, Martin Chatwin. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, here's something funny. So you remember how, uh, Big B lives in Somerset in the, in the show, in the episode? Yes. Yeah. That's where Charles Measures was born. Measure, measure. <laughs> Somebody's going to have to that's correct cool. me his name. <laughs> I wonder if that's... I think it's Measure, but I'm not sure. <laughs> I, it looks like Measure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Maybe well, it's like Monsieur. Well, that's no, what please. I was thinking. Is, is it Miss, Monsieur? I don't know. Anyway. Monsieur. <laughs> he apparently also has a law degree. Huh. Oh, wow. That's cool. All right. He's English and Australian. Yes. He was born in England and grew up in Australia from like age five on. 
That's interesting. That's like oh, yeah. an interesting Getting uh, deep into IMDb. <laughs> <laughs> that might be why his cadence is so intriguing, Danny. Mm. Yeah. But I would say MVP-wise... Oh, yeah, tell us El- yours. Who? For Elliot, for having to go back to his pre-Break Bill's roots and uh, save Fillory with shit. Yeah, and that scene, I feel like Hale does such a good job. He oh, Hale's delivery is always perfect. Yeah. And I think in that scene, too, right? If I he, could give Hale the, like, MVP of the entire series, like, pretty much I would. Hey, hold your horses. We we hopefully have a lot of seasons left. <laughs> no, I mean, I agree, but, like, this far, it's like, it's like I almost always want to pick Hale in, like, every episode. Like, Hale, or at least Hale's hair, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Hale's hair, true. I, I feel like Hale's hair really is always the MVP. We should... Yeah. Who does the hair on the show? I don't know, but they need an award. Hale's characters... Hale's hair is almost a better character than <laughs> Elliot. I wonder yeah. I wonder if we, like, looked closely, if we'd see, like, with Arjun having the, like, fashion, the, the accessories revealing things about oh, his character, yeah. if we'd see that with Elliot and his hair. I think so, because his hair is, like, very disheveled in, like, those episodes where he's, like... After really Mike. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I kind of noticed that, too, when they go to Plover's house. Mm-hmm. Uh, his hair is kind of, like, it's not as voluminous. Volume. It's totally like that. It's totally like that in real life, too. Like, I've met people who, you know, the, the people who really care about, like, their appearance and their hair and stuff. Like, if they're not in a good mood or just, like, in a like a wayward place like they don't do their hair yeah i mean it's hard it's hard to right like it's hard to get up when you feel shitty on the inside it's really hard to get up and like make yourself look good on the outside even though that often makes you feel better if you do it i guess just why i wear hats (laughs) i wear a lot of headbands i throw my hair up in a bun like all the time (laughs) all right so mvp danny you and i agreed uh dom you said elliot i'm down for that how about rating (laughs) oh out of 10 i I would give it maybe a solid a solid eight yeah that's my feeling i I was saying eight uh, thinking eight out of ten as well only because the I liked the the singing and stuff, and it was cute once. It was cute twice. Third <laughs> time it got a little. Eh. Fourth time is when I was like, "All right, we get it. He's singing." Were there four times? Yes, I I believe so. That's why, like at the very end, where they're like smoking and sharing a smoke, I was just like, "If I could share a smoke with them." <laughs> yeah, I was like, I get, and so I. But it also helps understand, like. How, how, why she was so annoyed with him because it was annoying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I think for me, I would also probably say an eight out of 10, but I think for different reasons. For me, so Danny, you know, I loved the last episode. That was like knock out of the park, perfect for me. And I think what made it work so well for me was it, it felt really focused. They were really only trying to tell one story. I mean, there was like a little bit of, of Penny's like side stuff going on, but really it was just the story of, the coronation and that really worked well for me and I feel like like it's important for them to advance all these different plots they have a lot going on um and I was really grateful to see all the Julia stuff um I mean yeah focused episodes are generally yeah they just feel tighter and I feel like yeah so this one didn't feel quite as tight to me because there was so much going on so yeah that's true yeah I'd, I'd agree with that that makes sense well, anything else to add before we wrap up? You didn't really get to give your explanation, Danny. I didn't really. I feel like I'm kind of between where both of you guys are. Um, it kind of had a lot going on, and it it's it's harder to focus on episodes sometimes when there's a lot going on. Yeah. But I'm also missing Katie. Me too. <laughs> oh, yeah, just missing Katie in that that gorgeous mane of hair. She has such you great know, hair. But I was explaining to someone earlier i was just like you know it's like you need this time with the characters that we're spending now and not katie yeah that's fair and i think it makes sense to bring the 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 different characters from julia's life back in gradually that and she's also like i mean in a way she is asmo so like Mm -hmm. asmo doesn't show up until like magician's land so i mean we're kind of lucky we're even getting her now (laughs) yeah that's true yeah that's true 
All right. Well, that was great. Love talking to you. Um, as always, thank you for joining us, Dom. Oh, thank yes. you for having me. This was so much fun. Oh, well, I hope we get to have you back again soon. Oh, I would love that. This is, <laughs> yes. I'm, yeah, and I have a lot of feelings about the magician, so I'm always down to talk about it. <laughs> well, yes. I think it's pretty clear that we, we do too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Lots Thanks, everybody. Bye. Right. Bye. Bye. Mind slot. Oh. Uh, celery. Bro.